The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. At Acts chapter 2, let's go to num- verse number 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and, all, uh, and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Father, We come to you now and desire that you would instruct us from your word, that you would help us to understand uh, and appreciate more deeply this institution of the church. I pray that you would speak to our hearts today and strengthen us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last lesson, we began this section of our study by answering the question, what is the church? And... The church is one of the most misunderstood institutions uh, that, that man has. The church is so misunderstood, it's so misinterpreted, it, 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 it serves and exists in the minds of most people for their own benefit and for their own uh, uh, satisfaction, but the church is, is, is the body and the bride of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's, it's greater than we can ever imagine. And last week, or last time we taught, we said that the church, I gave you a synopsis of the church. I said it's a local, visible, called out, assembly of believers, united under a common doctrine, worshiping, serving, and honoring God with their lives. So this morning, I would like to continue um, examining the church by answering a second question that rises to mind, and that is, what is the purpose of the church? King Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, that to everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. In his unparalleled wisdom, He reminds us that everything we do is tied to time. I'm sure we all understand that. By the way, time is indigenous to the earth. Did you know that? Uh, Time, apart from the earth, has no purpose and serves no existence. Certainly God himself is not bound by time. For we know that God knew the ending from the beginning. The scripture tells us that a a, a thousand years is but a day to the Lord, and a day is a thousand years. God God is not bound by time. He 
He, he cannot be measured by time. However, we are. And the church also is. The age of the church is bound to time. And I say that because it's not going to go on forever, is it? The age of the church will come to an end. Just as you will come to an end and I will come to an end. But God in the heavens and the things that we see have no end. They're eternal. Therefore, they're not bound by time. Now, in due time, the church came into being. And it came into being with a purpose. Now, last time we met, if you remember, we said that we didn't even see the word church used in the scripture until after the death of Christ. And so, the church had a beginning, didn't it? Yeah, the church had a beginning. Uh, and, and it will have an end. It, but it came into being with a purpose. Now today we see many churches around the world, and, and most of these churches exist to benefit the individuals that have founded them. Hence these TV evangelists who start these gigantic mega churches, and those churches exist for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to enrich themselves. Our church exists today, however, to benefit its founder. Our church exists to benefit the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom to come. Our church does not exist for our benefit. Now, there's a lot of people believe that. There's a lot of people believe their church exists just to benefit them. So our church does not exist for our benefit. However, we are greatly benefited by the church. Our church does not exist primarily to meet our needs. There are some that go around and they got their hand out to the church. I mean, it's amazing. You just sit here every day for about a week. It's amazing how many people will wander off the street and come to the church for money. They come to the church for a handout. Never, never come to church to worship. Never come to church to praise, honor, or glorify God. They view the church as a cash cow. A place they can come to, 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 to have things for themselves. The church does not exist to meet our needs. However, do you understand today that your needs are met through the local church? So, considering all of this, let's, let's take a look this morning at a few things that we can see as the purpose of the church. Now, from our text this morning, I can determine at least four purposes for the church. Look with me again at Acts chapter 2. And look at verse 42. We read again here, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. So we see four things here that the church, or the purpose of the church in the lives of the believer. Number one is to teach true doctrine. To teach true doctrine. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' 
doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, we read Paul writing to Timothy, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Now, I went through an entire section of our study on the Christian life talking about doctrine. Hopefully you remember some of that. But what did we say that doctrine is? Teaching is doctrine. Now there are many forms of doctrine. We, we discussed that too. But there's only one true doctrine, and that is the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. So doctrine is a belief or a system of beliefs accepted as authoritative. Now, this morning as we sit here, all of our doctrine is founded upon and based upon the Word of God. Here at Berean Baptist Church, I can't speak for any other churches that exist, but here at Berean Baptist Church, if the Word of God does not support it, then we do not accept it. This is our final and only authority in spiritual matters. There is none other. I don't care what the Pope says. I don't care what the Mormon Church says. I don't care what the Jehovah Witness Church says. Theirs is a false doctrine. The true doctrine is founded in the Word of God. So all our doctrine is founded upon God's Word. So what do we, what do, we do with this? Well, first, we hold to the truth that God's Word is inspired. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Verse 16, he said, all scripture, not some, not most, not part, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, I'm not going to launch off into a King James only argument this morning. I'm not going there. Um, you, you may have your opinion, I have mine. Uh, but let it suffice to say that God promised that he would preserve unto his people his word. And I believe today, as we gather in our churches using our King James Bible, that we have the preserved word of God. I'm not saying it's the inspired word of God in the King James form, but it is preserved. And God has preserved his word to us so that we can attest to its authenticity. It wasn't, they were inspired in the original manuscripts. But as the King James author set to translate, they, he didn't inspire them. But he, he used them to present to us his preserved word. And I believe that. And I accept that. The Bible did have human authors, 44 of them to be exact. However, these men wrote those things that God breathed into them by the Holy Spirit. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, we read, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we, in, in, in our local church, we attest to the truth that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And we trust it, and we stand upon it, and we have faith in it, and we are dedicated to it. The Word of God is, is our only authority, and we submit to it, and not to any man. So number one, it's inspired. Secondly, we hold to the truth that God's Word is inerrant. In Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7, we read, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver, tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them, there it is, from this generation forever. So God has promised us that throughout every generation of man that shall abide on the earth, he will preserve his word and its integrity for them to, to read study, and assimilate into their lives. The inerrancy of the Scripture means that all Scripture, in the original manuscripts again, are without error and exists in harmony with every other word of Scripture. Now you understand with me today that there are hundreds of translations of God's Word that are filled with error. No doubt about it. There are many printed Bibles today that men turn to for their spiritual guidance that is, that is fraught with error. But we, we know that God promised to preserve unto his people his word and its integrity that we can, can trust it and that preserved word is without error. Now, I'm an English, I was an English teacher for 17 years and I can tell you there are, based upon our common current English language, there are grammatical errors in the Bible. But they're not, they're not philosophical errors. And they are not errors that change the Word of God. Maybe you've noticed that if you've ever, if you've ever copied Scripture into a, a Word document with the autocorrect feature on, you'll see the little blue line, that's a grammatical error. And your word, your word document is saying, uh-uh, this is not right. This is a, gram, a grammatical error. Of course it is in the common English language today, but not at the time that this was translated in the Old English. So we have to understand that. There are no errors in the Word of God. The Word of God never, never, ever contradicts itself. This means that as Peter wrote, knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, this means that we must interpret every Scripture in light of every other Scripture, since they do not, since they do in fact exist in complete harmony. In other words, we could not possibly interpret water being turned into wine as water being made into alcohol. We could not possibly interpret that that way. Why? 
Because scripture condemns the consumption of alcohol. This interpretation would not be consistent with, nor would it be in agreement with, the whole of God's inspired scripture. Therefore, we know that the scripture exists in harmony, and that they are inerrant. Amen? You don't sound convinced. And I don't have time to go into a complete, long, drawn-out study on the inerrancy of the Word of God. Maybe, maybe we'll do that sometime. But let it suffice to say this. Anytime someone tries to interpret a scripture to make it say something that it does not agree with the entire counsel of God, then that is a wrong interpretation. The Bible is inerrant. And then thirdly, this morning, we at Berean Baptist Church hold to the truth that God's word is infallible. Now, infallibility is very closely related to inerrancy. Except that something can be without error. Listen to me. Something can be without error but yet still fail. Right? Something can be, you can have something that's correctly stated, that's not an error in its, in its theory or its, or its principle, yet it could fail. We see this all the time. All around us, we see, we see failures from things that were correctly stated and, and, and were correctly framed. So there is a difference between inerrancy and infallibility. God's word is inerrant, but it's also infallible. It cannot, it cannot fail. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, Isaiah writes, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God says, my word that goeth forth out of my mouth shall be. And there is no escaping the truth that God's word is infallible. And this is why I can walk and live in faith. Because I know that God's promises are sure. You see, I can, I can wake up every morning and know that the Lord is with me. Because he has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. That's why when I'm going through really difficult times, really troublesome times, I can stand in faith and know that God is with me. That's why when I, when I have needs in my life, and I, I'm not sure how I'm going to meet those needs. That's why I can have faith to know that, that God will provide for me that which he says I need. Oh, that's a comfort. I'm, I'm going to tell you, that's a comfort. To know that God is going to give you all that you need and that you should have. Do you know that sometimes our wants 
are not what God wants for us? Hmm? I've known many Christian people who say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and God didn't answer. Oh, he answered. He said no. No is an answer. We live in a society that believes the only answer is yes. But sometimes God's answer is no. By the way, there are a lot of Christians in the scriptures who things didn't work out so great for, did they? And in this life, there are, there are many, we find many people referenced in the Bible in this life that never knew a day without suffering. Think about the beggar at, at, at uh, the rich man's gate, Lazarus. Huh? He, Lazarus didn't have a glamorous life, did he? But where did he end up? In Abraham's bosom, right? And where did the rich man end up? In hell. So we have to be careful how we associate um, God's, God's providence upon us. Sometimes maybe it's God's will that we suffer. And, and, and if so, then that's the will of God, then, then that's what it will be. And we must accept this and be content knowing that God is with us and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Infallibility, God's word is infallible. And the purpose of the church, my friends, is to teach us these and many other doctrinal truths. So first, the purpose of the church is to teach true doctrine. But then, secondly, this morning, we, I want us to see that the purpose of the church is to provide a place of fellowship. We go back to verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines, and then look at the next part, and fellowship. Now, fellowship is defined as an association of people who share common beliefs or purposes. You know, do you know we were not created to be alone? Do you know that? Now, some people like to be alone. And there are times when I like to be alone. But we are not created to be alone. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, we were created with a desire to have companionship. I heard a story once. God came to, to, to Adam and he said, Adam, I can give you a wife. I can give you a wife that will love you. She'll be beautiful. She'll care for your every need. She'll never devote herself to anything but you. Adam said, that sounds great, God. But what, what would that cost me? God said, well, it would cost you an arm and a leg. Hmm. Adam said, what can I get for a rib? So he took the cheaper cut. Ah, uh, no, we love you, ladies. We were created with a desire to have companionship. Now, of course, we understand that there are differing levels of companionship such as between a man and a wife, such as between parents 
and children, and the greatest one of all, grandparents and grandchildren, and even close relationships, friends, things such as that. There are differing levels of companionship. And each of these can be provided in and through the local church. You see, I'm a believer that God provides everything we need through his local church. And I realize sometimes uh, we've had single men here that would be happy if God would provide them a wife through the church. But, But all of the necessary things that we need are provided through the local church. Maybe not this one, maybe they... They find a maid in another church, but God will provide his people what they need through his local church. Now, let me give you some thoughts about fellowship. Through our fellowship, we will be edified. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. We are edified, we are built up. Through the, through, the, through the fellowship we have in the local church. Uh, it, it does a lot to help your faith. When, when we, you come together and you gather with, with other people that share your common beliefs and are serving the Lord alongside of you, it edifies you, it, it makes you stronger, it makes you more eager to serve the Lord, it builds you up. And the body of Christ, the church, is built up through our fellowship. Yet so many people foolishly avoid the fellowship in the local church. And, and they, they separate themselves from all the many things that are here designed to help them. Over the years, uh, 37 years in the ministry, I've had, I've had parents come sit in my office and, and tell me I'm having trouble with my children. and I just can't seem to get them uh, interested in, in, in Christ. And I'll look at their attendance record. I keep, I, by the way, I keep an attendance record of every member of the church. And I look at their attendance record and I see huge gaps in their attendance. And so as compassionately as I can, I tell them, your children might have a greater desire for the Lord if you got them in church. And you brought them into the fellowship of the local believers. And they heard the teaching of the word of God. And they heard the preaching of the word of God. And they associated themselves with other young people who will, who will encourage them in Christ and not discourage them in the flesh. So through, the, through our fellowship, we will be edified. We will be built up. But then, um, secondly, through our fellowship, we will be encouraged. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. We will be encouraged. I can't, I can't tell you how many times over the years some things might have gone wrong in my life during the week and I'm feeling kind of blue. And I'm feeling a little down and a little dejected. And then I'll come to church on Sunday. And my brothers and sisters will come to me and, and greet me and shake my hand and, and tell me how nice it is to see me today. And, and, and all things. And, 
such as that. And, and you know what? I find myself suddenly being lifted emotionally. Sometimes I'm not feeling great and I, I stand up behind the pulpit and I start leading the singing and, and, and the words of the song fill my mind and my heart and I find myself encouraged and exhorted to, 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 to stand for Christ through the singing, uh, uh, through, the, through the words of God that we sing and, and together hearing all the voices. I remember the first time I heard the song one day. I was at a youth conference uh, with our teenagers, and there were it was a very large church in, in a very big city, and we were together. And there was probably I don't know five or six thousand people in this auditorium, and we all stood together and all began in unison to sing one day. And I was so my my heart was so overwhelmed. By, by, by that many people singing together. You know, there's something great about that, isn't there? And I'm not talking about emotional frenzy. I'm talking about spiritual uh, enlightenment, spiritual warming, if you will. My heart was warmed by, the, by, by, by being in fellowship with so many saints of God. And through our fellowship in the local church, we are encouraged so the church teaches, and, and folks, I don't have time to develop all of these things as much as I, I could. I'm just trying to give these to you and keep moving. The church teaches doctrine. The church provides fellowship. Then thirdly, the church, uh, the purpose of the church is to observe the ordinances. Acts 2.42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship and in breaking of bread. There are two ordinances given to the church. The observance of the Lord's Supper and baptism. These ordinances are important pictures of Christ and they are particular to the church. Yet many today have corrupted these ordinances by practicing open communion and by by estranged baptisms. But we are commanded to observe these ordinances as often as possible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat this, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And it is given to the church to preside over these ordinances. And as children of God, these should be precious to us. These ordinances should not just be routine. That's one of the reasons why we don't practice it too often. We want to keep it fresh in our hearts. We, we here at Berean observe the Lord's Supper once every quarter. But as children of God, those are precious times to us. We, we have a special music program that night, and, and Pastor prepares, prepares a special message, and we call out to all members of the church to be present and to prepare our hearts and minds 
for this precious time of remembrance. This is why we believe in closed communion. Only members of the church partake. This is why we demand authoritative baptism. We don't, we don't allow people to come into our fellowship who have been baptized as a Catholic or who have been baptized as, as uh, some other religion, some other faith. We demand authoritative baptism, baptism that was administered by and through a local church of like belief and, and faith. We come together as a church to teach doctrine, to provide fellowship, to observe the ordinances, and then fourthly, to unite in prayer. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The most powerful weapon in our arsenal as a church is prayer. James chapter 5, verse 16, we read, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we are admonished to pray and pray not only individually, but pray as a church. Pray as a group. Now let me close with a few thoughts concerning prayer. First, prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a privilege. Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And then in verse 16 he says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How fortunate we would consider someone who has immediate and unrestricted access to the President of the United States. So if you've seen someone just walk onto the White House property, walk through the door, right past the guards, walk right into the Oval Office, no one even attempts to stop them, we'd say, wow, that must be someone pretty important. Yet today, you have immediate and unrestricted access to God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. So how much more privileged are we than that? But not only, uh, number one, is prayer a privilege. Number two, prayer is personal. 1 John chapter 5. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. God hears you this morning. He hears all of us in this place, and he hears the prayers of believers praying in India, in Africa, in Germany, in China, in Korea, in Alaska, in Antarctica, and every other corner of the world, because God is everywhere at the same time. Prayer is a privilege. It is personal. Then, lastly, prayer is powerful. James chapter 5. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth, by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. There's no limit to the power behind our prayer. Now, I had more I wanted to say, but I have to end this today. So what is the purpose of the church? Well, there are, there are many other things than we've talked about, but we can see from Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 that the church teaches doctrine, it provides fellowship for the believer, It observes the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper, and it unites in prayer. So to combine the questions from the first lesson and this lesson, 
uh, I have a statement on your sheet, and this is it. That what is the church? <clears throat> it is a local, visible, called out assembly of believers, united under a common doctrine, worshiping, serving, and honoring God with their lives, teaching truth, providing fellowship, observing the ordinances, and uniting in prayer for all who believe. Thank you for being here this morning. I hope this lesson was helpful and that the Holy Spirit enlightened us concerning the purposes of the local church. Thank you, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.